if we can go from being sedentary to just doing a little bit, that the effect on cardiovascular health is the greatest there. Just going from nothing to a little bit has the most dramatic effect on cardiovascular health than going from, say, moderate to vigorous or light to moderate. Um, It's going from sedentary to just a little bit is the highest impact you can have on your cardiovascular health. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with influencers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good in all kinds of interesting ways. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about my podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to zestfulaging.org. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at upcoming episodes and other fun and quirky tidbits, including many pictures of my puppy Frankie in the snow. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com, and our technical director is Steve. Litweiler. Well, today we will be talking about hot flashes. And if you've ever had one, you know how disruptive they can be and sometimes even embarrassing. In my Saturday knitting group, you'll often see one of the women suddenly fanning themselves and abruptly stripping off layers. And we all know what that means. Our guest today studies the role of physical fitness on menopause symptoms. She has a particular interest in cardiovascular health and and risk at midlife. Dr. Witkowski is an associate professor and chair of the Exercise and Sports Studies Department at Smith College. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so uh, happy to have you because I know personally, as we probably all do, people who are really struggling with hot flashes and don't necessarily understand what's going on, what might be helpful, when they're going to end. And they can be um, kind of upsetting. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, just being drenched. It can be a little bit uh, unsettling. And like, when is this going to end? And I know that that is a subject of your research. And I guess the first question is um, why is the transition to menopause a period sort of worth studying for you? And why is it a period of vulnerability, health vulnerability? Sure. Um, So as many of your guests probably know that the menopausal transition happens at a time that can be very busy for women in their lives. Oftentimes, uh, during this period, women may be um, having caregiving uh, responsibilities at home. 
They may also have caregiving responsibilities for aging parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Many times they're in a a level in their career, let's say, where they're mid-career, which means they have more responsibilities. Maybe they're trying to also have some leadership roles, um, break through some glass ceilings. Mm. Um, You know, it, it becomes very difficult for women to manage their health in this period, go to the doctor, take time um, for the things that rejuvenate your, you know, your body and physical activity. You know, um, it's, it becomes very difficult to balance all of these things and take care of yourself. Um, And we know that, um, Data shows that only about, say, about 3 to 7% of midlife women are meeting the current recommendations for things such as physical activity. Um, so it's a time when uh, women in particular are, are stretched in a lot of different ways. So it leads to this vulnerability in, in their health. I see. So, uh, you know, as a therapist, what I think of is like, sort of overwhelm, stress, feeling, um, you know, burnout is a word that gets tossed around. In your research, is there a um, connection between mental health, emotional health, and menopausal symptoms? Yeah. Um, now, I haven't done that research myself. Um, we are interested in looking at some of that data. We are collecting some data on um, depression and anxiety in our current work. Uh, but it has already been shown that, um, particularly for women in midlife, uh, perimenopausal women, those are women who haven't undergone the final menstrual period, but they're getting close, um, that they do have increased risk for anxiety and depression. Um, so it, it's definitely not just a, a period of vulnerability for your, your physical health, but also your mental health and well-being. And your focus is really the relationship between physical activity and hot flashes. Yeah, that's what we've been focusing on for for most you know most recently, um, and and that really came about because um, both are related to cardiovascular disease risk, which is what you mentioned. That is sort of my over the the umbrella of the the things that I that I'm interested in, um, and it turns out that we know physical activity is something that can reduce cardiovascular disease risk. Um, but it turns out that that hot flashes, that the increased um, incidence and severity of hot flashes can also uh, be related to cardiovascular disease outcomes. Mm-hmm. So you use it as somewhat of a marker? Well, we're, th- we're, we're trying to understand that a little bit better. So the data on sort of why the, the hot flashes are related to cardiovascular disease risk, there are a whole host of reasons why that could be. Um, it could be anything from something physiological, right, that maybe there's something happening in the cardiovascular system that um, is, you know, reflected in both hot flashes and the risk for heart disease. Um, but, you know, it could also be that just having hot flashes disrupts your 
your life. Um, mm-hmm. It makes more stress. It doesn't mm-hmm. allow you to sleep well. And we know that when you don't have quality sleep, um, which is one of the um, big complaints of women through the perimenopausal and the menopausal transition, uh, when you don't get good sleep, then then you um, do have more risk for heart disease as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of all comes together at yes, this nexus. It really becomes this... Mm-hmm period where all these things are happening and and you know i'm just really interested in trying to understand um and get more evidence so that we can make better recommendations for women through this period and when you say physical activity are you thinking of anything specific like aerobic exercise or are you just talking about basic activity movement walking that kind of thing yeah, well, that's a great question. So physical activity is is the big umbrella um, term for anything that encompasses um, activities of daily living, walking up the stairs, doing the dishes, walking your dog, uh, to maybe people who are more structured and include exercise, you know, in that in that. So they go on a run or, you know, something that is specifically for a period of a certain period of time and they're mm-hmm. doing it for health benefits. So um, so physical activity I do refer to as generally because more generally because in our studies we are looking at um, the effects of habitual physical activity, just having more activity in your life, all, mm-hmm. all kinds of activity versus sort of the, uh, the um, effect of exercise. So regular exercise or even just one bout of exercise and how all those three things might be um, influential to your, uh, your risk for hot flashes and cardiovascular disease. I see. Are you dealing with mood swings, difficulty focusing, or an overwhelming amount of stress? You are not alone. When it comes to mental wellness, nutrition has a lot to do with what goes on in our brains. It is virtually impossible to have good mental health when your brain is undernourished. Over 50% of Americans are lacking essential nutrients in their diets, and most multivitamin supplements don't even come close to providing clinical levels of these important nutrients. Hardy Nutritional Specialized Blend of Clinical Strength Micronutrients is backed by over 40 independent studies. Recommended by a growing number of psychiatrists worldwide, Daily Essential Nutrients is now available online without a prescription. Over 80% of customers surveyed reported life-changing results within 30 days. And our listeners get 15% off their first month by using code ZESTFUL at Hardy Nutritionals. That's H-A-R-D-Y Nutritionals.com. Now back to the show. This is a bit of a tangent, but I will just say that this whole Fitbit thing uh, seems to, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people disagree, but it seems to add an element of stress. I uh, I was, uh, I'm a tennis player, and um, I was listening to one of uh, my, uh, you know, friends talk about 
her Fitbit and she, this is before COVID, was traveling internationally and she got to her hotel totally jet lagged. You know, she's exhausted. She, she realized she didn't hit 10,000 steps. So she walked around her hotel room until she hit 10,000 steps. And I thought, I don't know if that's what this is all about. And I just sort of would throw that in about some people. And this is, you know, of course, my kind of my bias as someone who sees people with food and eating and exercise um, issues. But the idea that I better get that exercise in or something bad's going to happen, that's a little different than <laughs> what you're looking at. Well, I think it is an important point, though, that um, we should understand broadly that um, if we're not exercising, that that doesn't mean that we're not still doing good things for our body, right? So, um, you know, we don't understand a lot about the role of lighter physical activities um, and their role on um, different disease outcomes. We understand more about moderate and vigorous exercise, um, but we really do need to understand a little bit more about the lighter intensity activities. Um, and, and, and that, I think, is going to go a long way. I think it can go a long way. Um, you know, the Fitbits can be good for some people, it helps them try to stay on target for something. Um, but, you know, it has this feedback system to you where it's giving you some information about what you're, are you accomplishing your goal or not accomplishing your goal? Mm -hmm. And um, that can put extra stress on somebody. I mean, I have to say that uh, I, I don't wear an activity tracker. Um, and I, I really stopped monitoring myself in a lot of ways. But in my research, I do mm -hmm. use it because um, devices like that um, are devices that are objective. And uh, for our research purposes, it helps us to get a little bit of a better idea about, you know, what is the contribution of the lighter amounts of physical activity versus moderate versus more vigorous. Um, and b that we monitor them objectively will help us understand these things in the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm understanding that intermittent uh, exercise, uh, not exercise, but intensity is also um, being shown to be helpful. Is that something that you're finding as well? Well, we haven't looked at um, a paradigm of looking at high intensity interval training on uh, menopausal hot flashes. It has been shown to have very good benefits for cardiovascular health. Um, it's very good for um, metabolic health. Um, and the benefit is that you don't have to go out for an hour, you know, mm -hmm. at a moderate intensity. You know, you could do um, a high intensity workout in 20 minutes and still get a lot of benefit from it. And, and, you know, some of the data showing that types of exercise that are more intense, like weight lifting, um, there's a recent study showing that it does have a beneficial effect on menopausal hot flashes. Mm -hmm. So how does this research... Um, Actually, what are how does it look like? You're you're giving women um, activity trackers, and are you having them also rate their hot flashes? Great question. Yeah. So our our current um, study that's funded by the NIH, we are looking uh, at this idea of um, using these objective measurements, so these monitors. So the vast majority of work that's been done in this area, which isn't a lot, has been a subjective report. 
So people telling us that uh, how what their how many hot flashes they have, whether how intense they are, how they feel about it, and then also self-reporting on their physical activity. Um, in this study, what I've proposed is that we want to start to track some of these things objectively, in addition to that subjective report, mm-hmm. because the subjective feeling of am I having hot flashes is probably really important and maybe even more important than am I objectively measuring one. Um, And the reason is, is that people might have hot flashes that they don't feel, but we can see them on a monitor. Oh, how, and what, tell me more about that. Like what monitor, is it temperature? Is it uh, skin uh, how, how, how does that look yeah. on, on your on your machines? <laughs> yeah, our physical activity monitor is just like a fit, it is on your wrist, but um, the hot flash monitor is um, looking at what's called skin conductance. Yeah. So we have two different uh, little electrodes that we put on the sternum either side, and what it's tracking is how fast electrical activity is going from one to the other, and when you sweat, that electric activity goes up mm. and um, but in a hot flash it doesn't just go up but it goes up very rapidly uh-huh. um, and so sweating general sweating looks very different from oh. a hot flash it's really remarkable you know when, when women talk about hot flash and, and it being a sudden onset yeah I mean, you can see it on this monitor it is sudden <laughs> so oh, yeah. it, it, it rises a, a very uh, steeply within you know just a few seconds that's so fascinating yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's the that's the objective data you're talking about that's right that's the objective hot flash data plus we ask them to push a button if they when they feel a hot flash and then we have you know a log they can report on so um yeah so we're adding this objective component which really has not been done very much before and it, it might help us to understand a little bit more about that um you know what we're seeing um you know is it you know is it the subjective report or the objective report how you know how do each of those different pieces fit in to um you know, the, the, the picture of cardiovascular disease, physical activity, and, and, you know, hot flashes for women. How do you measure cardiovascular disease? Uh, great question. So <laughs> we take a lot of um, measurements um, regarding a woman's cardiovascular disease status. So we measure blood pressure and cholesterol. Mm. Um, we do all those sort of normal things that you would get in the doctor's office. Um, but one of the things that we, we do s- several tests that you don't get in the doctor's office. And um, one of the things I'm interested in are the very earliest signs that something could be starting to go wrong. And um, those early signs have to do with the blood vessels and how they react and how flexible they are and how or how stiff they are. Mm -hmm. So um, we have several tests that we can do in the lab where we can look at the reactivity, how a blood vessel can dilate or open up. Um, And we also have tests that look at how stiff the blood vessels are. And is that um, uh, necessarily, are we thinking about cholesterol buildup with stiffness or is that something else? Well, um, actually, you know, the stiffness of the blood vessels 
can happen without cholesterol deposition or without atherosclerosis. So um, this is why it's important for us to look at these subclinical measures. Um, the other reason is that we know, you know, high blood pressure is bad, cholesterol, high cholesterol is bad, you know, blood sugar, all that kind of stuff. But um, it turns out that those traditional uh, ways to look at risk um, maybe aren't as predictive um, for women as they are men. So we are very interested in understanding, you know, maybe there are some more subtle factors out there that might be telling us, okay, there's something starting to go wrong here. And um, that's important because we want to know early, you know, the earlier we know, the, the more um, change we can make. Mm, and I think this is such a good point, because as we know, for many, many years, and you'd have to tell me, you know, if it's still going on, but the, the research on heart health has been largely done on men, and then generalized. Right. which isn't terribly helpful. <laughs> so it sounds, it, is like, not. it sounds like what you're saying it is, is not, yeah. we need to look at this in a much more subtle way, understanding that there are probably gender differences and that's important. Yeah. And, and that's my, you know, um, focus here. And, and when we, in my lab, you know, we study, um, you know, conditions that are, you know, specific to uh, women, or in this case, or in, in people who will uh, experience menopause. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a, it's a thing that we need to think about and has already been shown that you know, there are female specific conditions that lead to higher risk for heart disease. If a woman has uh, had preeclampsia, that's um, uh, hypertension during her pregnancy, uh, if she's had gestational diabetes during her pregnancy, mm -hmm. those are female specific conditions. And women are at a two to two and a half fold higher risk for heart disease later in life if they've had those things happen to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are female specific things going on here. And menopause is another one of them that we have um, undergo this, this change, this transition where our body's trying to adapt to, to changes in hormone levels. And um, it is very specific in the way it happens uh, to women. That's really fascinating. Um, I don't know if you can speak to this, but I'm interested in, in terms of your funding sources. Are you finding that these big funding sources like NIH and maybe the American Heart Association, I don't know, are they are they more interested in funding research that's more specific to women or are you still feeling experiencing that it's an uphill battle because they're not recognizing the, the differences? Well, uh, I'll have to say funding is always an uphill battle <laughs> okay. regardless. But, okay. um, you know, and I'm small potatoes here. I'm at a you know small women's, you know, liberal arts college here. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we do work to get funding. And I have to say, it's been nice to see that, um, you know, uh, funders like the NIH are uh, saying that, you know, we have to, um, you have to show, you know, that you're going to have equal representation and um, across age span, uh, you know, gender, sex, um, unless you have a compelling reason not to uh, include, you know, a certain group. So in, in terms of that, it does help us. Um, and the research on women, uh, we have been underrepresented in research studies in general. So there is an acknowledgement to that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it's, it seems to be helping. I think this is a, uh, there's awareness that we just don't have enough information. Um, mm-hmm. and it would really be nice if we just had more studies that we could tell women more and we could give them better recommendations for their health and wellness. I see. So this is really important. It's not just about exercising to uh, mitigate some of the hot flashes. This is a much bigger question about how do we um, how do we assess cardiovascular health and 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 how do we intervene? Yeah, exactly. We um, we also have work that we're looking at other what we call novel risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So these are not the ones that we pay attention to. Um, so similar to the blood vessel studies I was telling you about, we have factors that we're looking at in the blood that we think might be indicators of early indicators of cardiovascular health or stress. Um, so um, yeah, so we hope that 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 kind of work continues to be fruitful and that we can start to understand uh, risk, heart disease risk in women. And has your research had a, an influence on what you do uh, in terms of protecting your own cardiovascular health? Um, my research has, um, I've, I've always been an advocate of physical activity. I, um, I used to be more of the sports type, but um, I have to say, as I've gotten older, I've learned to um, uh, think about physical activity differently. Right? It's not just for the sport and the competition and all that, but it's it's a. It, I have definitely had a, a shift in my mindset, and I would say that one of the most important things to me now is to do it for my sort of mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm I'm in the menopause transition, and uh, I do have hot flashes. Um, I don't always feel them. And I know because I monitor myself pretty frequently, (laughs) but, um, but you know, it, it, I think it helps me navigate the day. You know, it helps me, um, be better, um, for my students, helps me be more present for my family. Um, so I think for me, it's a thing that I personally feel I do for a lot of reasons. And, uh, while it does help my cardiovascular health, and I, I think that's a great thing, um, I've come to appreciate all the other reasons why it's important to me. It's funny because I have people in my clinical practice who tend towards exercise overdue, um, and it's complicated, but I one of the things that I talk to them about is trying a walk that's purely aesthetic, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's a, that's a very different goal and sometimes a challenge, but, and there's so much research about, particularly being outside, mm-hmm. all of the benefits that come with it that um, are added on to keeping our heart healthy. Yeah, the outside time is so important for us, um, especially now. You know, we don't have a whole lot of sun over here on the East Coast. We're getting more mm-hmm. now, but, um, you know, it really is important to, to spend a little bit of time outside for sure. So based on what you know now, and I understand this is very incomplete, you're working on it, um, what would you advise people who are menop- perimenopausal or, you know, sort of fully in this transition, what's your best advice for women to um, be aware of their general health or heart health? Uh, how do you want to um, kind of guide them? <laughs> yeah, well, 
you know, as it pertains to hot flashes, mm-hmm. um, we know that the physical activity, um, you know, it what we what we have shown is that um, that there are a couple of important points that um, a lot of moderate or vigorous physical activity might lead to more hot flashes. But the levels that you need to be engaging in for that to happen are way more than the recommended amounts. Mm. They are 50 to 75 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity in a day to increase your daytime hot flashes by about one. So first of all, you know, the recommended amount of physical activity is, you know, maybe 30 minutes, five days a week for, to accumulate a or, or accumulate 150 minutes a week, mm-hmm. um, you know, moderate physical activity. And that's walking, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it doesn't have to be running or anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is that our, we found recently in this one analysis that the light intensity physical activity had really no effect on the hot flashes didn't make them worse didn't make them better so light's good you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in terms of it's not going to make things worse so the current recommendations um, in terms of physical activity are are, I think a decent rule of thumb right now that we're seeing Um, but the other really interesting part about um, what we found was had to do with sedentary behavior so because we have those little watches on people and we can Mm -hmm. see what they're doing um, that when individuals um, have more sedentary behavior, they're actually uh, experienced uh, an increased number of nighttime hot flashes. Hmm. And, you know, we hadn't, didn't really get into this very much, but um, when uh, you have hot flashes at night, um, they can be those kind that are more bothersome, right? You're trying to rest and you get woken up as you started the mm. show with the, you know, the sweating, the, mm. um, you know, perhaps it can uh, be, be very disruptive to people. So um, in that analysis, we found that in about three hours of sedentary time increased um, nighttime hot flashes by one additional nighttime hot flash. So if we put those two things together, um, you know, it takes a lot of physical activity to make more hot flashes. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I can, I easily sit three hours a day, oh, <laughs> just, you know, with, sure. with my day, with my job. And so, yes. so honestly, that I feel is just that target of opportunity there where, you know, if we can reduce our sedentary time by getting up and walking about a little bit, mm-hmm. we might actually have a good effect on our nighttime hot flashes, mm-hmm. which are the ones that, you know, may potentially be more disruptive to us. And when you say, you know, of, of course we, I mean, I'm a psychotherapist, but that's all, that's all we do. And now with telehealth, we don't even have to get up yeah. to see people to the door. <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, wow, it's a whole new challenge. But does that mean interrupting like, okay, I've been working on my computer for 45 minutes, time to get up and make a cup of tea? Is that the kind of thing you're you're talking about? Or yeah. is it, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just you know, interrupting it. Uh, yeah, if you're one of those people who's working at home, um, you know, or has shifted from in person work to at home work, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, it's, it's okay. And maybe sometimes those little watches or those trackers are, are, that's one thing they are good for is like, Oh, get up and take a break, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, because I know I could sit at the computer for hours and hours and Mm -hmm. the time just clicks away. Um, but yeah, so to get, get up that actual act of physically using your legs to get your body 
up and out, mm. you know, that's a big stimulus for your body. That's a lot of muscle. Um, ah. and, and to do that and walk around a little bit is, is a good thing. So, um, yeah, to interrupt the sedentary time with getting up, you know, go make yourself a cup of tea, mm-hmm. you know, wash those dishes in the mm-hmm. sink that you still have from breakfast uh-huh. or go throw that load of, uh, you know, laundry into the dryer, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah, I'm, I, I, we're, we're looking to uh, move locally, and I'm thinking, I need a first floor laundry because the up and down, but it sounds like what you're saying is that might actually be helpful. It is helpful. Carrying the, 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 yeah, the clothes yeah. down in the basement. Yeah, yeah, and you know, that daily activity, it, you know, there are some classic studies on how important that is for our cardiovascular health that, mm. you know, really compared people who had more sedentary jobs to people who had more active jobs showing Mm -hmm. clearly that um, it didn't take these people being, you know, avid exercisers to have a a benefit for their cardiovascular health. It was just their their jobs or their activities, you know, during the day, the things that they were doing that actually really uh, was related to their cardiovascular health. I think that's such an important message. And it's, it's just one of that supports mental health, I think, which is you don't have to be an Olympic athlete, um, but you do have to move because that's what bodies were designed to do. Um, And, you know, it can be very regular um, stuff. It doesn't have to be super fancy. It Mm -hmm. could be going to get the mail. It could be just going around the block. It could, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, and uh, so much of the research uh, has shown in terms of physical activity is um, if we can go from being sedentary to just doing a little bit, that the effect on cardiovascular health is the greatest there. Mm -hmm. Just going from nothing to a little bit has the most dramatic effect on cardiovascular health than going from, say, moderate to vigorous or light to moderate. Um, Uh It's going from sedentary to just a little bit is the highest impact you can have on your cardiovascular that's 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 wonderful Uh, i love that message it's really i think it's just really takes the shame out of it for people and lets them feel successful right um that's great well that is very very helpful um what's next for you uh in terms of your research um, well, we're, we have to finish up this work. Um, our, the pandemic has, has put a little, um, damper on things. I'm sure. So we're just trying to play catch up just like a lot of other people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, one of the things that's really gotten us interested is, um, the difference between hot flashes and, uh, night sweats. And like I told you, hot flashes and night and hot flashes versus sweating is very different on this monitor. You can see it. So, um, you know, in in the past, people have lumped these two things together: hot flashes and mm. night sweats, and they mm-hmm. call them they call them vasomotor symptoms, and they just look at them as a group. But um, we're really curious to know about these night sweats and um, it, are there factors that are related to cardiovascular health? Um, is there a role of physical activity there? Um, so that's one of the things we're kind of interesting or interested in looking at. Um, the next thing I think is just understanding how physical activity helps women, um, navigate and deal with the symptoms of menopause. Um, so how can they, um, really live longer, healthier, and more zestful lives after Mm -hmm. menopause? Um, and particular, with particular, um, interest in, the role of depression, anxiety, the, you know, 
they really are weighing heavily on women. You know, while about 80% of women are going to report that they have hot flashes and that it's one of the most salient features of of perimenopause, um, depression and anxiety are also very notable. And I think um, we know that physical activity helps those things in Mm -hmm. general, but how it can help this population is something that I think we need to take a little bit of a deeper look into. And I want to talk to you more when that research, uh, you you uh, start with that, because that's right in my wheelhouse for mental health and fa- just fascinating how it all, you know, interacts. Um, it's all sort of wound up together. Um, where can people find out more about your work? Right. So um, I have a lab here at Smith College, <laughs> and um, we have a lab website, um, and it's uh www.science.smith.edu mm-hmm. uh, backslash Witkowski lab one word so uh-huh. we have that we we have a Facebook page um, yeah so uh, we have an Instagram page um, and uh, you know you can search us in there that we you can definitely find us Witkowski lab yep Excellent. Beautiful. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. This is so interesting. And I'm I'm just so glad that you're working on problems that are specific to women and, and heart disease. Um, it's good to know that <laughs> somebody's out there doing that work and that we're not just following along the research of uh, what impacts men's health. So I really exactly. appreciate that. Sarah. Oh, you're quite welcome. Jessica, yeah, I know that you're passionate about it. And um, thanks so much. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.